Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were describing some new research involving the function of some newly discovered types of RNA molecules. Mm -hmm. You explained what they were, but we did not have time for you to talk about what these new kinds of RNA molecules do. And Scott, I hope I can explain what they do so most people can understand. But even if you don't fully understand the details, one of the things I always point out to an audience is one thing everyone can grasp is the way a living organism works is beyond imagination. Yep. The sophistication and cooperation of intricate, interdependent systems is so complex. We still are just scratching the surface of how most of the systems we're aware of work. The understanding of how they interact and function together is a whole different arena. Yeah, evolution claims it all happened by chance. But what is obvious to most people is it required a mind, a mind-boggling mind, mm. to design it all. And the more we understand how fantastic the design is, the more we perceive how awesome our Creator is. Well, we know the heavens declare the glory of God, but David didn't know anything about DNA or RNA. That's for sure. <laughs> How cool is it that with the technologies we have today, we also get to witness the molecules declaring the glory of God? Amen. So talking about how great God is, is never a waste of time. But let's get back to the discovery of these new kinds of RNA molecules I was talking about last time. Now, I'm not going to review a lot of what we shared last time, but I will say that I described that RNA molecules are essentially working copies of DNA. Classically, there have been three main types of RNA known for many decades. One, the messenger, or mRNA, carries the information to synthesize a protein. Two, the transfer, or tRNAs, carry amino acids to the machine that assembles the amino acids into whatever protein the mRNA prescribed. And three, the ribosomal, or rRNAs, of which there are four different ones. They provide a kind of scaffold for over 70 proteins to attach to, forming the machine that makes proteins, the ribosome. Dr. Scripture, I don't mean to get sidetracked again, but if I understand the components of the ribosome, it's made of proteins and RNA. Can the ribosome work without its protein parts? In other words, can it make a protein without the proteins it's composed of? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so how can one possibly conceive of the gradual process of the evolution of a ribosome that's composed of proteins but it takes a ribosome to make a protein. <laughs> well, Scott, that's an excellent question. <laughs> because the ribosome is one of the greatest examples of the concept of irreducible complexity in living systems. It's not hard to conceive of a system that will only work if each and every part it's made of is present and functional. If you reduce it by any one of its parts, it doesn't work. So you can't incrementally build it, and it works a little, and then adding the next part, and it works a little better, and so forth. Mm. All the parts must be present and assembled for it to work. The classic example is the mouse trap. Remove any one of its five parts, and it's useless. So this idea of irreducible complexity is used by intelligent design proponents to argue that numerous irreducible systems exist in living organisms, complex systems that, according to evolution, would have had to have spontaneously formed. 
not be gradually built by random trial and error events, which is the only means by which blind evolution can occur. But you know what, Scott? I've even heard of evolutionists trying to demonstrate how a mousetrap could be produced in a stepwise process. <laughs> I found it ridiculous because they ignore the fact that they are an intelligent, intentional agent involved in the whole thing. But that aside. With the ribosome, there's another whole level of complication when attempting to devise a way for it to be produced step by step. It has to exist and function properly to make its own components. Truly a catch-22. <laughs> or for an evolutionist, it's like the dilemma of trying to answer the question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Why is that a dilemma for evolutionists? Well, as a creationist, it's no dilemma at all. The chicken came first. God created functional adults that could lay eggs and then raise the offspring. And God created the ribosome, composed of 70-plus proteins combined with four rRNA molecules that could then synthesize proteins that would be used not only as enzymes and oxygen carriers and electrical impulse pathways and structural <laughs> tissues, they would also be used to make more ribosomes. And all those systems I just touched on have fantastic sophistication and complexity themselves. Complexities we're learning more and more about, with the result very often being what Ewan Burney, the director of the ENCODE project, said when they discovered more than 80% of the human DNA was active. He said, we were ignorant of how ignorant we were. Yeah. <laughs> and that statement 100% applies to what we're just starting to learn about the function of three new types of RNAs actively working in living cells. Back in 2012, the ENCODE project discovered that vast amounts of RNA were being transcribed from the majority of the DNA in human cells. But why and what it was doing was totally unknown. What I want to do now is explain what we're learning about what some of that RNA is doing. I'm going to be using a paper published in the December 29th, 2023 issue of Acts and Facts. The author is Dr. Jeffrey Tompkins, and the title is Small Heritable RNAs Pack a Big Adaptive Punch. Acts and Facts, that's an Institute for Creation Research publication, right? Yes, it is. And Dr. Tompkins does a great job of literature research to explain these latest findings. He reports on seven different publications spanning from 2020 to 2023, as well as some of his own previous work. I'm not going to cite all those articles he uses, but if someone is interested, they can find them in this article, which is... Small, heritable RNAs pack a big adaptive punch in Acts and Facts 2024, Volume 53, Issue Number 1, by Jeffrey P. Tompkins, Ph.D. He begins the article with this, quote, Scientists have discovered a powerful epigenetic system that operates on top of the genetic code in a very different way from being chemically attached to the chromatin itself that is, DNA complexed with histones, is called chromatin. This amazing epigenetic paradigm is associated with very small RNA molecules that are heritable and that profoundly and adaptively affect the development of an organism's offspring. Dr. Scripture, what does epigenetic mean? Well, good question, Scott. Epigenetic means an inheritable change in an organism that results from effects not involving changes in the DNA sequence itself. 
The inherited trait is not directly from a gene or genes. It is from something over and above the genetic code itself. So in the case we're talking about, these small RNAs are being found to pass heritable traits on from parent to offspring. Not DNA? But that goes against pretty much everything we've been taught in biology. (laughs) That's about right. But we now know traits and adaptations from one generation to another is not limited to the information carried by DNA alone. This is an explanation I found on the utah.edu webpage. What is meant by epigenetic inheritance? Epigenetic inheritance is an unconventional finding. It goes against the idea that inheritance happens only through the DNA code that passes from parent to offspring. It means that a parent's experiences in the form of epigenetic tags can be passed down to future generations. That's the end of the quote. Now, those epigenetic tags used to be understood to be chemicals, for example, from smoking or various drugs. Ah. But now we find a large number of these epigenetic tags are these small RNAs. They get passed from mother and father through the egg and sperm to the fertilized egg. And these RNAs affect the development and abilities of the offspring. I'll read some more from the Acts and Facts article now. One of the best ways to describe how small RNAs work in the cell is to use the analogy of an internet search engine. When a search engine is pulled up in your web browser, you can type in a small bit of text, hit enter, and then get a hit wherever the text matches up. For example, you could enter, quote, for God so loved the world, unquote, and it would immediately pull up the Bible verse, John 3.16. Well, cells also have powerful search engines that are specialized protein machines. These protein machines take a small 22 to 30 letter piece of RNA as their search engine input. The RNA corresponds to a part of a specific gene in the genome. The small piece of RNA binds to a specialized protein and then off it goes to find a match. If and when a match is made to a corresponding piece of genetic code, the gene itself or even the RNA product of the gene is bound by the RNA protein complex silenced, and turned off. What is even more amazing is that these little RNAs can also be transmitted in the sperm and egg and affect the development of the resulting embryo. The effects of these small, heritable RNAs can persist in an organism's offspring for up to four generations. Furthermore, environmental cues detected by an organism can trigger specific patterns of small RNAs that will heritably prime the future offspring for a jump start on adaptation. Dr. Scripture, this is precisely what scientists who are doubting neo-Darwinism are looking for. Mm -hmm. You did three programs on the fact that more and more scientists are skeptical that DNA mutation combined with natural selection is capable of causing the evolution of the living things we observe. Is this going to be what evolutionists point to who are looking for a different mechanism for evolution to occur? You know, I'm certain they will, Scott. However, just as it's been realized that mutating the DNA sequence doesn't produce new information that can, quote unquote, improve the species, this newly discovered level of molecular genetic and epigenetic control is exponentially more complex. What I think we'll quickly find is... The problem of obvious design in the inheritance and adaptability of organisms will become even more pronounced for evolutionists. 
In the last program, I had mentioned the three new types of small RNAs they've identified. Well, here is how Dr. Tompkins describes them. The specific type of the small RNA-based search engine scheme has three main systems. RNA interference, also called small interfering RNA or siRNA, microRNA or miRNA, and peewee interacting RNA or piRNA. Each of these different types of non-coding small RNAs regulate some part of the pathway of protein production in cells, and the result of such regulation is actually adaptive and inheritable. Dr. Tompkins then concludes his article with a wonderful testimony to the glory of the Creator. He said, These amazing little molecules are just one more component of the irreducibly complex systems in the cell that not only make life possible, but enable creatures to thrive and fill the earth according to the grand design of the Creator who engineered them, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you pointed out at the end of the last program, Scott, we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 